What are you going to do, Commissioner? There's only one thing we can do. Batman! Sir, it's the Batfoot. Yes, Commissioner. Batman? We'll be right there. Biff, bam, pal. This is Batman Land. Be careful. Maybe a trap. Each week we chat about the 1966 Batman TV show We're Batman and Robin, the crime fighters. We discuss the episodes that aired this week on SBS Vice Land. My name is Dan Barris, I'm an editor at SBS. I'm joined by one of the original New Guernsey boys, it's Nick Bassine. I'm so happy to be here. Joining us for the first time here at Batman Land, it's a man who, unlike Batman, would never choose the red pill, it's Sid Sharma. Very, very happy to be here. Yeah, uh, you are not like a red pill kind of a guy, are you? Oh, no, 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 definitely not an MRA. Yeah, I've never watched that documentary. What's so. a, what red pill? What are you talking about? There's a documentary called The Red Pill, which is like all the MRA, like, Gamergate guys. Is it? A, it's about them or by them? Well, it's, it's not really quite by them, but it's definitely made for them. Oh. Mm, they just, they hate women. But it's, so it's pro-MRA. Oh, it's very pro-MRA, pro- that documentary. Oh. But it's called The Red Pill. And it's popular. Uh, well, I mean, I wouldn't say popular amongst, you know, people, but like MRA guys are very into it. Why The Red Pill? Is it related to The Matrix? Yeah. Yes. Oh. Yeah, no, that's absolutely oh, what guess. it is. Well, <laughs> fantastic. What, what other context does Red Pill come into things? Alice in Wonderland? Isn't that where The Matrix no, she, gets she it drinks, from? She drinks strange potions and eats cupcakes. What? And wasn't it like a leaf of something that makes you big and small? Yeah. No, definitely no pills. Don't ecstasy pills come in different colors? Are you saying that Alice in Wonderland was on the E's? What? I don't know. She was having a good time. (laughs) (laughs) It's on the gear. Uh, She was more like mushrooms rather than... Anyway, (laughs) we're off to a cracking start here. Yeah. We're talking about two great episodes here of Batman. We're talking about That Darn Catwoman, which aired on the 19th of January, 1967, and Scat Darn Catwoman, which was the 25th of January, 1967. Interesting, because they aired a week apart. Usually they air the same week, like two days apart. Well, like the next day. But because we had a three-parter with the last uh, storyline we looked at, they then aired like the third part of that, and then the first part of this one. And then the second week, they had the first part of this. Oh, sorry, second part of this, followed by the first part of another three-parter, which we'll be doing next week on the show. But didn't they say, or do they just say, tune in next time, yeah. same cat time, same cat channel? Very much so. Okay. As opposed to this time where it was next week. And Did- Dan, what point, at what point in the Vietnam War were we when this was going on? Ah, uh, look, we were at a very... Nick, come on, please. Okay. Yeah. Um, LBJ is uh, the president. I can tell you that much. Are you familiar with the chant, LBJ, LBJ, how many kids did you kill today? Uh, look, I'm not intimately familiar with it. I'm surprised it hasn't come up on the show. It's only a matter of time. We'll see what happens next week. All right. Yeah, stay tuned. Great. Same cat time, same cat channel. We'll see you there. Yeah. Uh, LBJ, there's a new movie out. It's a Rob Reiner film starring Woody Harrelson as the aforementioned president. It's not too bad. I saw it on the weekend. Is it out in theaters already? Well, I saw it on a plane. Oh. So I don't know if it came out recently or if it's actually like a few months old. Is it as good as J. Edgar? It's, I mean, I haven't seen J. Edgar, but oh. I assume that's better. No, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. J. Edgar isn't that great. Yeah, well, neither is this film. It's okay. two and a half stars. I don't know how that correlates with the J. Edgar rating. Oh, sounds about the same. If yeah. any of you want to read the book, there's like apparently a trilogy of absolute terms that go into LBJ's you know, campaigning for that election, and it's yes. meant to be really good. He was apparently a very difficult man. Made a lot of decisions on the toilet, from what I uh, yeah. recall. Well, that's a great scene. Oh, Brian f- Cranston is in, did the play. <clears throat> is it the same thing? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I think this is oh. an entirely separate work. Okay. 
Yeah, but there is a great toilet scene towards the beginning of the <laughs> film. Any good movie has a has a decent toilet scene. At least one. Yeah. Now, look, much like the Vietnam War, there's only bits of it that I remember. It comes in and, like, flashes right. throughout the night. Sure. But, Nick, can you please remind us what happened this week? Oh, <clears throat> uh, well, so many things. At the very beginning, Catwoman sends her protege... My name is Pussycat. ...played by Leslie Gore, 60s songstress. But I'm just a rock and roll singer. I'm not a crook. ...to hit on Robin and scratch him to make him horny and aggressive. How are you feeling, Robin? Perfect. He becomes Catwoman's slave... And together, they rob Wayne Manor. We need another $800,000. Leslie Gore stops everything so she can sing a song for the Catwoman's gang. Catwoman tells Batman to do something or she's going to murder Robin. No deal, Catwoman. Then she tries to rob something from somewhere and Batman shows up. Robin kicks Batman's ass. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Batman can't bring himself to hit Robin, so he just takes it. (laughs) Batman finds Catwoman's lair. I seem to have found a second cat lair. But he's caught. She wants him to join her or be murdered. Don't do it, Batman. It's your trap. Unfortunately, Catwoman unties him, doesn't murder him, but he lets her drug him and become her slave. Do with me as you like. Batman helps her steal money. First, we got the heist of the men to think about. He takes her to the Batcave, and it looks like they're about to have sex, but they don't. Holy diversionary tactic! He gasses her and drives her out of there. She steals the Batmobile and gets onto a roof and asks Batman to marry her. Marry me. Everything except that. And begs him to let her join his team as long as they can kill Robin. What about Robin? We'll kill him. She jumps off the roof into the water, committing suicide. Batman cries and blows his nose. Or he has a cat allergy. Well, either one. Hmm. I kind of feel that Catwoman maybe went down the wrong path saying that we maybe need to murder your best friend. I'm not sure that's the most ingratiating way that you can create a proper partnership. I find Catwoman to be just, I, I would I would want to do anything she says. I think she's the most convincing of all the villains. And when she said, let's kill Robin, I thought, yeah, makes sense. We should do that. Yeah, absolutely. Just on that subject, can I just put it out there? Catwoman, at least as played by Julie Newmar, she's the best villain on the show, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Far and away. She gets the best lines. Yeah. She has the best outfit. She's the funniest. Definitely. Yeah. Which is what I think. She's the most convincing. I, and I buy Julie Newmar. Um, when does Lee Merriweather happen? Well, Lee Merriweather only movie? happens in the movie, yeah. yeah. That's it? That's it. Oh, all right. So it's Julie Newmar in the first two seasons, Lee Merriweather in the film that happens between seasons one and two, and then you've got Eartha Kitt who crops up in the third season. And when? what about Halle Berry? Halle Berry is not actually part of the Batman 66 TV show. Hold on. I know, breaking. Um, Have you seen that movie? A long time ago. I don't remember a lot Sid, you've got it. to have seen this film. I've seen it and I've repressed it. <laughs> That's the I, right I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't recount to you the movie. I, I just couldn't. I've seen I, the poster art. I could recount to you. Bad but, outfit. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Now that you mention it, I don't remember anything about that movie either. Like, I've seen it. Yeah, you just, yeah. you know, it's Does a, she have a whip? Does anyone remember that? Can't remember. Does I, she say meow? <clears throat> I think she's got a whip on the poster. I don't know about meow. She probably drinks milk at some stage, you know, classic Catwoman trope. You're not uh, doing better than Michelle Pfeiffer. Or, in fact, Julie Newmar. Yeah. She was amazing. I'm actually almost willing to go at this point, and I love the Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman, but I think Julie Newmar might be my favorite Catwoman of all time. Ooh, controversial call, because Michelle Pfeiffer was great. Yeah, but I'm watching her in this episode, and every time I see her in the show, like suddenly the show comes alive in a way it doesn't usually. Well, she has actual chemistry with Batman. Yeah. And I know it's, you know, a sexual tension thing that they're trying to play out, but it, it works much better than anything else the other villains have. 
You don't think that the sexual chemistry between Adam West and Burgess Meredith is right there? Um, I, well, I mean, except in that one episode where they kissed. Yeah. There was that moment where they kiss and then, like, Batman and the Penguin just look into each other's eyes and then he ruins the mood but with a... <laughs> but even in 1989's Batman... The Joker and Batman have a kind of chemistry. They're verbally sparring in some way, and and you can tell that there's everybody there's something has, going on. Yeah, here. everybody has chemistry with Jack Nicholson, though. But this in this show, I don't know. The other the other villains don't have so much chemistry with Batman, except for Catwoman, who is great. They're great together. Even on the phone, they have chemistry. Yeah, like there's that scene where they've got the phones because Commissioner Gordon's turned the phones upside down against each other. Which does that work? I'm yeah, not sure. Absolutely, it does. Okay, story checks out. But they're talking on the phone, and Julie Newmar delivers this amazingly funny line where she says that dealing with Batman's increased her vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah. But she can't quite finish that sentence. From no. What I remember. <laughs> yeah. She struggles with it. Catwoman, I find you to be odious, abhorrent, and insegrievious. Dealing with you has expanded my vocabulary, increased my word power uh, 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 a whole lot. <laughs> So funny. I have to say, as, as much as she, uh, Catwoman is always the highlight of an episode whenever I, I've seen one with her in it, the way she turns Batman and Robin into her henchmen and the way they start talking 60s daddy-o slang. Why do they call everyone baby? It's amazing. It's because they're, they're jazz musicians by that point. You know, they're just sleazy jazz musicians. It's great. I'm talking jazz musicians. I really liked all of that stuff. Okay, let, let's maybe go through this episode from the beginning because we can jump all over this yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. And I'm prepared to, but let's try to get some sort of coherence here. Okay. At the very beginning, Robin, who has not graduated high school yet, is giving the graduation speech to a bunch of seemingly very <laughs> muted high schoolers. Very enthusiastic, but generating no like noise whatsoever. Do we get to see the speech at all? Oh, we're just the end of the speech. Good citizenship is its own reward. And he sticks his hand up in a in a really emphatic kind of being a good citizen is its own reward kind of way. Mm. And the students just kind of sit there. Yeah, uh, Catwoman rocks up and she sends her new henchwoman over to try to use her feminine charms on young Robin. And I like that Robin affects that same sort of voice that the teenager in The Simpsons usually does, which is the, you know, if I had a girlfriend, she'd kill me guy. I want to be alone with you, Robin. Alone with me? But why? But anyway, Robin's there and he's like... Oh, alone that's his normal voice. Well, kind of, but he does this alone with me voice and his voice goes very high. And you've got Leslie Gore, who, if people don't know Leslie Gore, a famous 60s pop singer, probably best known for singing It's My Party, which we all love that song, right? Yeah. Well, it's frequently still used in, in movies, and but I, my favourite song of hers is You Don't Own Me. Yeah, which is featured in The Handmaid's Tale. Yes, yeah. great song. Yeah. Because it's kind of haunting. That's I guess that's why they use it in The Handmaid's Tale, but it, that holds up in a much different, more real way than It's My Party. Although It's My Party, nah, everybody can relate to that. Now, the reason why she's Every on... Every 16-year-old. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and me, mid-30s. And Dan Barrett. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that every party. Leslie Gore, she was the niece of one of the series producers, Howie Horwitz, who we see credited really? on the show every episode. Now, I presume this is probably why she's on the show. I think her career was maybe sort of on the down a little bit at this point. But having appeared in this, this song suddenly went back into the charts because she sings that song in the uh, first episode, California Nights. Apparently, it's uh, peaked at 16 on the charts, and that was about a month and a half after this episode aired. This was a, it was a while after the It's My Party 
went big, which yeah. was like the early 60s, I think. Yeah, 63. Yeah. Yeah, so just four years later, which is an eternity in pop music. Now, we just talked maybe about Leslie Gore just briefly. Sort of interesting watching her in this as she's supposed to be cracking onto Robin, but Leslie Gore's pretty well known at this point. Uh, she was a lesbian who wasn't necessarily that quiet about her sexuality. She gay? Yeah. She was that. like a massive um, LGBTQ plus advocate oh, really? throughout yeah. the 2000s as well. Uh, she had Look a TV that. show on PBS, which yeah. was get, uh, dedicated towards LGBT lifestyles. What? Yeah. It went for a few years. But yeah, she's really quite notable because, I mean, she made a reference at one point saying that while the industry was really homophobic, she actually didn't really feel that she had to be that quiet about her sexuality. And so she just kind of lived her life and did her thing. And oh, fantastic. she had a lifelong partner from, I think, the early 80s. Not her early 80s, but like from the early 80s, she was in this <laughs> relationship with a lady. And yeah, that was together until right. she passed away, I think, about two to three years ago. Oh, okay. Fantastic. Yeah. She's very short. Incredibly I noticed short. that. Yeah. Yeah, Catwoman was Catwoman just towering tower. over <laughs> her and Burt Ward. Yeah. And it's pretty great for Burt Ward to be towering over anyone in the show. How tall is Julie Newmar? Computer. Julie Newmar is 1.8 meters tall. Yeah, it talks to the computer. <laughs> uh, there's this great line in it, though, where she's uh, trying to crack onto Robin, and she says she's concerned about a part of his education being neglected. Which part was that? Uh, this is right at the beginning. Oh, which yes, that on. weird innuendo thing. Yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden, I felt that this uh, scene was getting very adult. Well, maybe they were just trying to build that same rapport between Pussycat and Robin that Batman and Catwoman have. Yeah, and that was obviously what they were going for, but I kind of felt it was a lot more adult than the well, Batman-Catwoman relationship. they're just, you know, they're young teens and <laughs> they're just fumbling about trying to trying to learn... You know what it is to be an adult. I think it's a it's a failure of direction. As soon as Burt Ward puts that voice on and goes deeper, a couple of octaves and starts growling like he's going like he's calling everyone baby, like he should be on a watch list somewhere. (laughs) Somebody should have said, "Hold up, Burt, Burt, cut, Burt. What are you doing? What are you doing? This is a kids' show, Burt." I feel it's a misdirection any time that they actually get him to do anything that isn't just you know putting his hand in his fist. Holy yeah. watch list, Batman. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> disparage his um, acting ability, but it does seem that way. Like every time there's, he needs to stretch a little bit. If it there's gets a time, weird. if there's a time and a place to disparage, but what's <laughs> acting ability? It is on the show. But he's still with us, isn't he? Yeah, I'd love to, <laughs> I would love to get him on the show. Doesn't seem right. No, I mock him all the time, but I love Burt Ward. I think he's fantastic. <clears throat> Chief O'Hara maybe my least favorite character in this TV series. Oh, yeah. He comes out just after Robin's, like, you know, in his little grown-up moment, and he seems incredibly juvenile compared to Robin. What do you mean? I know, there's just, like, just this tonal shift where Robin, because he's, you know, all grown up and acting very Barry White, like, Chief O'Hara comes out in the bumbling Irish stereotype that he is, and I don't know, there just seems to be something very kiddish about him. I just don't think he Robin tripped him. I think he's just a generally clumsy guy, fell over himself and was trying to save it. No. Well, Robin pushes him up against the wall, which I was pretty gratified by, because Chief O'Hara is terrible. He is terrible. <laughs> to Aunt Harriet's credit, for the first time in what's apparently been years of her living in stately Wayne Manor, she's actually asked the question to Alfred, why is it that Bruce won't allow me into his parlour? And we finally get the answer from Alfred, which brings us to the <laughs> theme of this week's episode, which is horrible misogyny. And Alfred explains that... Every man likes to have some place that is... Uh... The sanctuary, far away from the, uh, if you'll pardon the expression, opposite sex. 
For and most people, it's a barbershop. Well, <laughs> apparently so. <laughs> and so it got me thinking, Sid, Nick, uh, when you're looking to get away from the women, where do you usually retire to? Um, well, to the study. To the study, because I'm not a player, but I don't need to go to the barbershop. Yeah. Well, that's good. Okay, so you're a man of means. Uh, Nicholas. Uh, have you heard of laser tag? I haven't. <laughs> so that's where you like to get away with the that's boys or I just by away. yourself? No, just by myself. I yeah. set up uh, challenges for myself and um, shoot my way out of them. Clears my head. I went to laser tag once and I just got demolished by children. It wasn't fun for me. No. Well, you don't want to be humiliated by children. No. And I'm, yeah, no, <laughs> you don't. In a similar throwback to a lot of the old uh, serials from back in the day, you've got the henchmen of Catwoman's in this episode, and they're named Spade, Marlowe, and Templar. Okay, which are obviously references to... Raymond Chandler? Someone's cats. <laughs> Probably true. But Philip Marlowe did have a cat, uh, which we remember from the 1970s adaptation of The Big Sleep, which is the Raymond Chandler novel. Of course we remember that. Of course we remember. I remember the novel. Yeah. Uh, you've got The Long Goodbye, which is the Elliot Gould version, where he's got a cat. Like, the film opens with him trying to feed his cat. Is it called Marlowe, Spade, or Templar? The cat? Yeah, the cat. Well, it'd be weird, because, like, the guy's Philip Marlowe, oh, so yeah. if he was he naming the cat, cat the same thing himself. as him. But Sam Spade is the other de- is the other detective. Yeah, from the Maltese Falcon. The Dashiell Hammett uh, novel. True. Yeah. Um, called so The Maltese wh- Falcon. I got the author's name. Well, aren't you special? Well, you're a very smart man, Nick. Um, uh, and then, of course, you got Simon Templar, who's the Saints. Yeah. Now, what is that? Oh, that's uh, the Val Kilmer remake. Yeah, uh, that's the first time the Saint was ever a character in pop culture, Nick. What is the Saint? Uh, the Saint was a character that was in a series of films throughout the '40s. Uh, it's a British character. Uh, in the 60s, I believe he was played by Roger, Roger Moore, Moore before yeah. he did the Bond films. Do you think that whatever the Saints name, oh, Simon Templar, yeah. Simon, Simon the Knights of Templar, yeah. is as iconic as um, Sam Spade and Philip Marlowe? Depends which country you're from. What if you're from Madagascar? Then very much so. They barely even know what a Sam Spade is, right. but they know they're Simon Templar. It sounds like bullshit. No, me. the same was fairly big in the UK and Australia, but I don't think it had that same cut through in the US. Now, there's a bit of a dirty joke in this episode as well, uh, where Stanley Ralph Ross, who wrote the episode, uh, there was a character that he introduced to it named Prince Kareb. Prince Ibn Kareb. Who gets weighed. He yeah. gets the cash that he, he that did he get weighed. Splash around. Now, Kareb's apparently, and this is going off the internet, so, you know, who knows exactly how right this is, but apparently there's an as quoting, I think, an Arabic translation for son of a bitch. What? Prince? Yeah. Now, the reason why he's got that name and, you know, there's the dirty joke in there is that Stanley Ralph Ross originally wanted to name it after a friend of his, which was a guy named Ferdberger. But the censors thought the name was a bit gross and could be misinterpreted. And so he couldn't actually name it after one of his friends. So he quietly put in something which is actually far more offensive. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Fun fact, that uh, practice of weighing the prince goes back to the early 1600s where Mughal emperors would do the same thing. But they'd do it with gold, which presumably you'd... I mean, if you weigh cash, you'd, you'd end up spending a lot more, right? Because it doesn't weigh as much. Mm. You should use gold. What are, they, what are they weighing to determine the value of what? To, so they weigh the prince against his assets, and then his weight in in this case cash, it should be gold, gets distributed to the needy. It's like a a yearly sort of uh, thing of charity. 
Oh. Yeah. Weird. Wow. Yeah, because when it's talking about cash, are we talking about gold coins or are we talking about just notes? Because I feel that Prince is giving away a fair bit. Yeah, well, he was just, he had notes. He had just bills, dollar bills. Mm. Just ones. Just ones. Just the ones. Wait, also, isn't his name Pat Pending? No, no. Pat Pending was the name of the uh, scientist. Sorry, uh, the inventor. He's the, the guy one. with all the ones. He's the guy with all the ones. Yeah. Pat Pending was the world's richest and cheapest inventor. And dumbest, the worst inventor. And there's a lot of wordplay happening in this episode because Pat Pending is yeah. obviously patent pending. Or patent pending. Or patent, if you come from my neck of the woods, where we know who the saint is. <laughs> Madagascar. <laughs> yeah, I am a native of Madagascar. I don't like when these episodes <clears throat> introduce a character like Pate Pending. Pat Pending. Right. It's just, it's totally pointless. Yeah. Have you watched the show before? <laughs> <laughs> it just diverts your focus from the real action. And uh, I think they should have streamlined these. There was a bit, bit of better. action with Pat Pending. He did get robbed by Catwoman, Marlowe, Spade, and Templar. Oh, that's and then gets mistaken for Batman. Yeah. Again. That's ridiculous! A paunchy, overweight Batman. <laughs> I love that for the first time, Commissioner Gordon's like, well, I guess we should find out who Batman is. And then just follows the bat, like, phone line. So. Yeah, well, it surprised me. I mean, the, the show did allude to the fact that it's been tried before. Oh, did which, I miss that? Y- you missed it? Yeah. So Batman has these divergenting phone lines and you just flick some, some levers around. I did it, notice a very large computer used for this very purpose. Yeah, well, every computer was large then, but, you know. Wait, he's never, but he's never said before, I'm going to, um, I need to uh, divert the phone trace. Not in the show. Right? Oh, but off camera, yes. Yeah, off camera. Right, sure, behind the scenes. Yeah, okay. probably when Alfred's trying to call his lady friend... Yeah, or his cousin. <laughs> who's a, a, who's a prison guard, isn't he? Like, or a... No, no, he operates the water... Oh, he's a security guard at the water facility. That's right, that's right. We probably get a better sense of geography in this episode than we do usually for Gotham, which is a bit of a hodgepodge of who knows what's going on. Uh, we find out that across the river from Gotham City is an area called New Guernsey. What's the Guernsey Boys? The Guernsey Boys? My Isn't reference at the beginning. Yeah, what was well, that? Well, the Jersey Boys... Is a Broadway? Pl- is it a Broadway play? Yes. Yeah, it's a I'm it's been on Broadway. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I was making a play on. New isn't there Boys. a show called Guernsey? I believe Steven Spielberg's making a Jersey Boys movie. Yeah, but is he making a Guernsey Boy movie? No, no. Isn't he's there not. a show called Guernsey? No. Guernsey, Guernsey Shore? Boys. Guernsey Shore. Maybe. Yeah, I think it's Guernsey Shore. I like when Batman got to New Guernsey and he's a little bit suspicious that it might be a trap. And I don't know what made him think of that. It might have been all the signs on the front of Catwoman's lair saying, this is Catwoman's lair and secret entrance to Cat Lair. Are cats, you know, particularly known for bad memory? Or No, that's goldfish, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's goldfish. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know why you'd sign it that way, to be honest. I was pretty disappointed that that Batman wasn't murdered in this episode. I mean, I'm disappointed every episode, at the end of the episode, when he gets out of whatever uh, jam he's in. But this one, I, I wanted to see him get diced up by that saw. Oh, at the end of the first part. Yeah. What about the giant mousetrap with the jagged edges? I think that would have been great. Just... Yeah. You don't have to show the gore, but you could cut away tastefully. I want to see the gore. <laughs> yeah. If you're yeah, going to lose, you if you're going to lose our greatest hero, I want to see him go out as he really does. I don't want to dress this up. I don't want to have to have this sanitized for me. I want to see the real pain, the suffering that Batman's gone through. When he fights Robin, 
We've seen that before, right? That's in a, We've seen that in another episode, I believe. Look, here's the thing. So I was talking about this, I think, on last week's episode during the three-parter. Batman's got this spray that knocks people out, as demonstrated when he's trying to get Catwoman into the Batcave and says, oh, you fainted, which he seems does, a bit suspicious. It's not the first time he's gassed a woman in the Batcave, by the way. No, it is not. But he's used this spray a couple of times now. And as I said last week, but definitely in full display this week, why is he not spraying that spray against people rather than using fists when he's punching people? As we have learned, one punch can kill. Yes. And I'm very concerned that Batman's not being responsible when he's actually engaged in these fight scenes, particularly against his boy Wonder. I just feel... A, a young child in his care. Yeah, true, actually. He should have sprayed Robin. Mm. I was trying to remember what happened last time they faced off. Because I remember that being disappointing. You really want to see Batman hit Robin. Oh, I would love nothing more to see Batman hit Robin. <laughs> yeah, it was disappointing. Yeah. Now, Catwoman, I was kind of disappointed to see the moment where Batman's like, oh, I've got a bit of a headache. Let me just take a bat pill before you yeah. spray me with your, you know, feminine spray thing. Yeah, come on, Catwoman. Wise up. That's yeah. clearly the bat pill that deflects all um, drugs. The yeah. bat, bat antidote. Yeah. yeah, it makes him immune to everything. Yeah, and she was just about to kill him with a giant mousetrap to suddenly yeah. be worried about his welfare for something as trivial as a headache just doesn't make sense. Well, she loves him, and I don't get it. Mm. What do you... I love him. Like, what's hard to understand about loving Adam West's Batman? All I he love... wants to do is put her in prison and re rehabilitate her. He wants to change her. When you love somebody, you don't uh, try to change them. But we know what he won't do. He'll do anything but marry her. Yeah, well, yeah. you won't marry well, we found that. We found, we found that out. <laughs> <laughs> that scene, I found myself laughing quite audibly that in the office. very good. Her asking him to marry her was pretty great. Anything's better than facing prison again. I'll do everything I can to rehabilitate you. Marry me. Everything except that. A wife, no matter how beauteous or affectionate, would severely impair my crime fighting. She didn't take it well. She jumped off a building. Committed suicide. Yeah, which we've seen her, I think, at the end of every Catwoman episode, which is like a proper Catwoman episode. She has a mysterious death at the end. Does she? They never find the body. No. That's the last something... one, she just walked out of the Commissioner Gordon's office or something. Well, was that the episode with the Sandman? Because that one's a bit different. That was the That's Spider-Man 3 you're thinking of. Are you sure it's Spider-Man 3? Yeah. Yeah. The 1966 version. Yeah, with Tobey Maguire, but a really young Tobey Maguire. Played by... Um, uh, Thomas Hayden Church? Yeah, that's <laughs> She's always falling off things, just Catwoman in general. Like, that's how Michelle Pfeiffer became Catwoman. Yes, that's true. Yeah. And I mean, in it was another episode in season two where she literally falls off a ledge and then Batman also falls off a ledge. She just always seems to be falling. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the many deaths of Catwoman at this point. So I think there was... She's surely gone through all nine lives. There was a building like a window she went out, I think, the first time we had a Catwoman episode. But yeah, like how many lives has she really got? So I mean... There was one where she was in the shit in Vietnam. Yeah, that was a very bleak episode of Batman. Yeah, that was pretty rough. Yeah. So I haven't seen that. I things really got very serious very quickly. How does Catwoman run in heels? I'm asking for advice. Is she wearing heels? Yeah, when uh, running across the rooftops at the end, she's wearing heels. There's that which I hadn't noticed until you see her running yeah. away, and she's very obviously in heels. Women who wear heels know how to run in heels, I think. It just comes naturally to them. Because it's a weird thing to do in general, I would imagine. I don't understand wearing heels generally. Makes your calves look good. My calves I or heard. women's generally. N nothing will make your calves look good. Have you seen my calves? <laughs> hey, you're a... Pretty good looker. 
You got some uh, class, baby. Batman, when he's chasing Catwoman, like first they start running up some stairs and I saw Catwoman make it to the top, but how did Batman make it to the top without being puffed out? There's a lot of steps. I mean, I can't do it. Because he's out of shape, you're saying. Well, I mean, maybe I'm more out of shape than Adam West's Batman. He probably took a bat pill, which, you know, gave him extra strength or something. <laughs> that probably did it. Or got a little boost from Robin. There she is, amigo. I loved the 60s jazz uh, daddy-o uh, jive and talk. At the very beginning, Burt Ward says... Hello, baby, you're a real cute trick. And I've never been more scared watching this show in my life. It was terrifying. Well, we've seen Burt Ward do the same thing. There was a Joker episode from the first season. I want to say it's like about episode eight. And it's the Joker... I think the episode's called like The Joker Goes to School. And Robin has to go undercover and he's dressed as like a 1950s greaser with a leather jacket in a milk bar. It's fantastic. Batman calls her Cat Baby. I loved that. What a base of operations. Yeah, it's a nice little pad, Cat Baby. That was great. Well, Robin calls Batman Baby at one point. I think Bat Baby. We're going to live it up. We're going to wail, doll. Love that stuff. Yeah, it's just a good time. It literally just turns him into the exact opposite of what he was. So if he's a really cool, jive-talking kind of hep cat, then presumably he really isn't. Otherwise, he's just a massive square. Square, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's the daddy-o that Gotham needs. Yeah, maybe maybe that's why all those kids in the university earlier were just so unenthused, because it's like Joe Hockey coming to school and talking about stuff, you know? Each week on Batman Land, we like to talk to our guests about who their Batman is. Now, Sid, we should probably explain who you are and what you do. Um, who well, are you? Why what are you in the do studio? You do? Uh, well, I, I work in programming. I'm actually, I was hired to sit right behind Nick Bassine and within arm's length of Dan Barrett just to make sure they're not getting up to anything silly. Like, shenanigans. Yeah, any shenanigans. But no, I just help the acquisitions team. So, yeah. But Sid, what's your experience with Batman? So had you watched the 60s Batman TV show before SBS had acquired it? Um, well, I've got a real thing for all these like nostalgic things that I should never have known because I'm, I'm a young spry man like Robin. Mm. But, um, you know, you just, you just get exposed to the, uh, the campy fun of 60s Batman and I you know, always knew it from a pop culture point of view. But my, my first into Batman was probably my cousins had the Batman Forever soundtrack. And oh, that was a great soundtrack. Great soundtrack. Nick, favorite song from the soundtrack? Kiss from a Rose. I see. I like by Seal. Really? Yeah, that's the best song on there. What it's do you It's a pretty like? great song. That, that, yeah, it's a pretty great. Song. It's pretty good. There's a good Flaming Lips track on there. What is that? Yeah. yeah. That wasn't actually in the movie though. Only like five no, of those songs were in the movie. No, that song is playing. There's a scene at the beginning with the Riddler, like just after Jim Carrey's character becomes the Riddler. Oh. And like it's playing, it just plays for like about two or three seconds. It's got the weird chime in bells in the song. Yes. Yes, yes. Yeah. But so yeah, it was that that soundtrack which I'd go to my cousin's house and listen to. Um, and then obviously the growing up in the nineties watching the animated series on Saturdays was a big thing as well. Yeah. So that was my in. Would you go the Batman Forever soundtrack over the 1989 Prince soundtrack? I would. I would. I wasn't that into that Prince soundtrack. I liked the scene where he they're playing the Prince song. And, and, and Joker's just bashing up the, yeah, uh, the art gallery. Yeah, but that uh, was great. The music itself, I didn't love. Yeah, I was trying to listen to it at work the other day. And yeah. I liked it. I really hold. did like it. But I would probably take the Batman Forever soundtrack. Just Batman it, Forever has a Method Man song on it. 
Yeah. Yeah, called The Riddler. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And Susie and the Banshees and, you know, the Smashing Pumpkins and Iggy Pop. All kinds of weird stuff. PJ Harvey, that you wouldn't expect. Okay, we can run through the soundtrack here. We've got Hold Me Through Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me by U2, yeah. which was the big single from it. <laughs> Although I'd say the biggest single was actually probably Kiss From A Rose. Yeah. Yeah. I had a PJ Harvey song in there called One Time Too Many. Brandy, everyone's favourite uh, musician. Uh, Where Are You Now was her song. There was a Massive Attack track called The Hunter Gets Captured by the Game. I remember that one. I'm um, Eddie Reader, who I don't really know, but that's a track called Nobody Lives Without Love. Massey Star was on there, but tell me now. I'm Smashing Up by The Offspring. That's great. I'm going to go and listen to this as soon as I get back to my desk. Yeah, I just looked it up on Spotify. This huh. is the one you listen to for variety. Yeah. Uh, there Is a Light by Nick Cave, and I'm pretty sure that's a pretty good track. Uh, there's The Red Lord by Method Man, The Passenger by Michael Hutchins, The Devlins. Does anyone remember The Devlins? I don't remember The Devlins. I do not. Uh, Crossing the River was that track. And Sunny Day Real Estate, which is a great name for a band, had a track called Eight. And then the final track was Bad Days by The Flaming Lips. Yeah. That's a great soundtrack right there. Excellent soundtrack. Did Batman Returns have a soundtrack? Probably just the musical score by Danny Elfman. Yeah. 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 The weird kind of gothic, creepy score that permeated throughout that movie. <clears throat> I remember not really liking the Batman and Robin soundtrack because they tried to emulate the success of the Batman Forever. Trying to make it very pop or? Yeah, does anyone even remember tracks from the Batman and Robin soundtrack? Like how a Smashing Pumpkins song is the like, main song. It was a song called The End is the Beginning oh, is yeah, the End. Oh yeah, that, so there were two of them. There was The End is the Beginning is the End and The Beginning is the End is the Beginning. And I think they were next to each other on the soundtrack, and one of them is very kind of trip hoppy. No, I just pulled it up so they were opposite ends of the soundtrack. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, Jules on there, there, and there's a Goo Goo Dolls song. Goo Goo Dolls. Yeah. <laughs> what a travesty. It's appropriate that they're on the Batman and Robin soundtrack. It really is, isn't it? But anyway, Sid. Yes. Uh, so, your first experience with Batman was. Well, the, the certainly the most memorable was just listening to that over and over again. That and How the long? Robin Hood Prince of Thieves soundtrack, which was just <laughs> excellent that, soundtrack. You know, that's, that's the me. Brian Adams song yeah. is amazing. Yeah. How old were you at this point? Uh, maybe like six or seven. Okay. Yeah. Old enough to understand Robin Hood. Old enough to understand Robin Hood yeah. Prince of Thieves. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, so that was that was probably my end. and the cartoon series, which I absolutely love. Yeah. Which then got me onto the Tim Burton movies as well. So, which freaked me out as a kid, but I loved. But by the time you were watching Batman, would the Batman Forever and Batman and Robin would have happened? Yeah, way. yeah, they did, and I. So you'd have to cycle back. Yeah, but this is a vaguely sort of Catwoman-ish kind of scenario where I don't really remember much of those two movies. Oh, really? I I kind of remember Arnie's Mister Freeze. I remember that, but I don't actually remember what happened in that movie. He just makes things cold. Ice to meet you. Ice to meet you. He has a wife that he oh, wants to um, save. Yeah. And it's some model that's just stuck in a box the whole movie. Yeah. I don't know. Those, those ones never quite grasped me. They never did. So when you think of your uh, Batman, who do you, who do you think of? Uh, well, the cartoon Batman, to be really? honest. Really? Animated series Batman. Yeah, He's voiced by Kevin Conroy. Yeah. Who was the guy who played E in Entourage? Kevin Con- was that Kevin Connolly? Yeah. He's my Batman. <laughs> But yeah, it was, it was, it's probably that. And then, I mean, Christian Bale, like, I, I love the Nolan trilogy. I think it was great. But when you think of your favorite Batman, do you rank it with the animated show up at the top? Yes. Yes, I would. Animated show, then probably The Dark Knight, and then... 
Don't you think his chin is disproportionately large in that cartoon? Yeah, it is, but you had to exaggerate. It was, it was, you know, it was coming right off the eighties. They had the shoulder pads, but he's darker. He's he should have had like Superman has the big chin. That makes sense. So what you think he should have a really sharp, jagged, a little more narrow because he's a little bit um, darker. A little he does nasty stuff to get the job done, and that's that's why people love Batman. The duality, the the dark, the dark side. I would guess that if they could turn back time, they probably wouldn't give him as strong a jaw as they probably do in it. But the actual character designs within the original, well, the animated series, when they were designing that back in 92, 91, 92, whenever that cartoon launched, because it was a throwback to the Fleischer cartoons starring Superman of the 1940s. So Superman, because he had the big jaw, they did yeah. the same thing with the Batman cartoon. Yeah. So it's a very deliberate homage. But I would imagine that if they were trying to differentiate the characters now, they'd probably give Batman a... Less of a strong jaw. Good point, though. I think like the um, the animated series was probably inspired by the Tim Burton aesthetic, and Michael Keaton did not yes. have a strong jaw. No, mm, not, not at all. all. Not at yeah. all. He was he was a bit of a strange guy. Yeah, because it's very gothic, right? It's. Oh, yeah. um, what do you think of those um, animated features that they did? Like the similar, to DVD ones, similar vibe. Yeah, right. But they're much more violent and uh, what, well, like nasty. the Killing Joke and all yeah, those yeah, kind of. Yeah. Which was based off a comic, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you seen the animated feature of the Killing Joke? Yes, I have. Yeah. What do you think? Um, And have you read the comic that it's based off? I read the comic afterwards. Okay. The whole beginning bit was really weird to me. Yeah. (laughs) With um, Batgirl. So did that strike you as weird when you were watching it? It struck me as weird when the story did hardcore nudity. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It struck me as weird when that ended and it just went into a completely different story arc. Yeah. So to explain to people who don't know what we're quite talking about here. There's a seminal 1980s comic called The Killing Joke, which the entire premise of it is is the Joker and Batman sort of coming to terms with the fact that they're really sort of mirror versions of each other psychologically. Yin and Yang. And so there's a thing where the Joker goes off the deep end and he ends up shooting and quite possibly sexually violating Barbara Gordon, who's Batgirl. And so Batman is um, dealing with that and the idea of Commissioner Gordon being pushed to the edge psychologically and Batman kind of bringing him in from the edge. Yeah, it's spooky. Yeah, so spooky it's a, a really dark, interesting psychological story. It was which, Alan Moore, right? By Alan Moore. Now, that book mm-hmm. exists, but then they decided to do this feature film, and because it's actually quite a thin comic, they needed to grow it out somewhat. So there's an entire sort of 30, 40-minute sort of sequence beforehand with Batgirl confused about her feelings for Batman, and they end up having sex on a rooftop. Yep. Yeah, and considering the actual content and what the Joker does to sexualize a character of whom previously hadn't really been sexualized before, and for them to suddenly introduce this sexual relationship between her and Batman, it got really creepy. Yeah, it was pretty creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I don't recommend people watch it. Mm. Yeah. No, it wasn't very good. The, yeah. the comic is really good. The though. comic's really good. I mean, it's a bit sort of, politics of it are a bit difficult to sort of, like, leveling up against our times now. But I think as a piece of literature, it's actually fairly interesting. Yeah. So I mostly read Phantom comics as a kid. Yeah. Going back to the Phantom. You mean The Shadow? Oh, no, no, I mean The Phantom. Oh, okay. Billy Zane. Right. Um, so, <laughs> post-Killing Joke, you should give me another Batman one to read. So you, you want a Batman? Yeah, give, me, give me another Batman comic. Uh, well, have you checked out The Dark Knight Returns? No, that's the one where he's old. Yeah, so yeah. That's, that's that's the other big one or from year the 80s. One, year one, I would year say. Year one's really good. Actually, yeah, check out Year One. I'll bring I've it seen in for the you. Year One feature. 
I haven't read the comic. Yeah, I've seen yeah. that. Yeah, I found that feature, which is another director DVD film that they made, which more or less recreates the comic almost moment for moment. And I don't think it makes for a very good film because right. I think it makes for an amazing comic, but it doesn't really translate without doing a little bit more to it. Yeah, I don't think it elevates the um, the written material yeah. so much. I found it a really boring watch. What about Death in, a fa- in the Family? That's kind of interesting where they That's kill iconic. off Robin. Yeah. I don't know if they're actually particularly well written. They're interesting as like a publishing stunt. Etched in my brain is the image of the Joker bringing that crowbar down. It's <laughs> oh, man. terrifying. It is brutal. Don't spoil Because that's when he had that huge, long, exaggerated, long chin. Yeah, I want to say it was like oh, Jim Aparo drawing it. Whew. Terrifying stuff. Yeah. Anyway, SPS screening Batman was your first time seeing the Adam West version? First time seeing full episodes, yeah. 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 I mean, you'd seen like snippets of it on other sort of media. But There's a Batmobile in Ready Player One. There is a Batmobile. Did you see that? Ready Did you notice yeah. that? There's that a DeLorean, cool. there's a Batmobile, there's a lot of, you know. But that 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 movie is just, it rides on the intellectual property. Kind reference, of. reference, reference, That's, reference, yeah. reference. Yeah. Sorry, part of this conversation is both Nick and Sid deliberately talking about this film that I haven't seen yet. <laughs> Thanks, guys. That's right. Really sorry, appreciate sorry, it. Dan. Well, you won't be surprised by that appearance, that Batmobile <laughs> appearance. Yeah, you know what I didn't know was in the film? Batmobile. Yeah. Uh, which Batmobile is it? Is it the 60s? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm very excited. I'm going to go and see this movie now. What's the best uh, Batman movie? The best Batman movie? Uh, f- for me, probably Dark Knight. I just, I really did enjoy it. It kind okay. of, that and then probably Tim Burton's first Batman. Yeah. I reckon those two are my definite favorites. Okay. Yeah, 100%. This brings Batman Land to the end for another week. Nick, you're on Twitter. Where do people find you? I'm at Catwoman Suicide. That's a really bleak handle. Well, if, or you can use my older one, um, at Nick the Scene. Yeah. Uh, Cat Suicide is painless. Uh, Sid, where do people find you on the Twitters? You can find all five of my tweets at Diz Amraz. <laughs> Read out your tweets. Okay, one of them is... No, I'm not going to do that. I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Go to at Diz Amraz, D-I-S-A-M-R-A-H-S, which is my name backwards, because also my magician name. Go there sure. and you can see all five of Are them. Are you also a magician? I was when I was a child, when Fantastic. I was listening to Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Okay, we're going to make this podcast disappear in just a moment. <laughs> uh, folks can find me at the Dan Barrett. If you're on social media and you want to talk about Batman Land, use the hashtag Batman Land. How do we come up with these things? Uh, if you like the podcast, do leave a review. It helps other people find the show. We'll be back next week with another discussion about a three-part episode. It's the second one that they've done. It's something. It's it's wild, I man. Can't wait. We'll be back next week. Same Catland time. Same Catland channel. Until then. <laughs>